to episode 246 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spohr. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Steris, who will be headed to the park to see the Colorado Rockies and the Oakland A's. Eno, how you doing? We were just slightly delayed because I had to go buy some ice. Got to get this some weekend, ice. <clears throat> this weekend uh, was my birthday weekend, and um, so I bought, I got a keg of my favorite uh, beer, Alpine Nelson. That's awesome. And uh, we took it to uh, Stanford campus. is a private campus, so you're allowed to drink wherever you want. Oh, that's so, fantastic. So we took it to uh, what used to be a beach What uh, beside what used to be a lake. The lake is now dry, and uh, the beach apparently in the last few years has gone into disrepair, and there's not much sand left. So uh, we hung out near uh, an open, empty space. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the thing that was sad for me is that either I've gotten older, my friends have had kids, um, or I have fewer friends, probably some combination of all three, uh, we couldn't finish the pony keg. So Uh-oh. I still have uh, maybe a quarter of a pony keg in my uh, basement. And those suckers stay good as long as you, you can keep them. So I just had to go get some ice and uh, replenish that uh, the ice. That sounds like a nice weekly, uh, a weekday post-birthday trip to kind of have a glass or two uh, until you run it out. That's that's pretty good. I know I wish you an early birthday, and then I, I believe it was over the weekend, the actual day, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was actually last Wednesday. Uh, yeah, so then a belated birthday. I, I wished you too early on Tuesday and now <laughs> too late on, on the next Tuesday, but that's part of uh, the fact that we were off on Thursday uh, yeah, when I was I, out of town. My parents were diverse, so uh, – Wish me birthday early and often. That's something I'm used to. <laughs> All right, you know, well, we're going to dive into some news here. Just a little bit of news. Not a lot going on. And then uh, with, with that in mind, we're closing out a month today. We're closing out the month of, of June. And I understand that months uh, are arbitrary endpoints, even though, you know, they, they fit nicely being, being one singular month on the calendar. They're still pretty arbitrary. But we're going to talk about some June boons. Everyone's heard of the June swoon, which is obviously when you when you fall off, and we'll get to those on Thursday. But today we're going to talk about a guy, a bunch of guys who had great Junes, uh, and kind of get your outlook on them the rest of the year. They're kind of underrated guys, not superstars. We've been talking about them here and there throughout the month, which obviously happens when they have a big month. But I got to get your opinion on how good they're going to be the rest of the way because they played like superstars for at least a month. And and uh, even before that, I want to figure out who you think's the, the top player right now. You know, it sounds easy to say Trout. It's not a bad answer if anybody gives it, but I don't think it's the walkaway answer that it's been in 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 the previous couple of years. I think there are some legitimate candidates. We recently lost one of those candidates, but there's still a handful of others. So we'll get to that. First, just a couple bits of news here. Not a lot of injury stuff going on uh, from Monday to, to, to now after Jason and I covered the Sunday stuff. We got Daniel Murphy returning from the DL with his quad issue. That's going to be huge, probably more for the uh, for the Mets themselves than your actual fantasy team. Although I will say Murphy is just kind of doing what he's been doing. Uh, it, it, almost exactly, by the way. The last four years now, if you go 12, 2012 through what he's done in 55 games this year, he's been almost exactly the same player. A solid 280-something hitter, little bit of pop. Uh, the only thing missing from Daniel Murphy this year so far has been speed. He's only one for three on the base pass. Now, unfortunately, if that speed doesn't return, then his value is not going to be met. That, that's a key component. With 10, 23, and 13 stolen bases in the last three years for Daniel Murphy, you're counting on some speed even more so than any sort of power. Where are you at with Daniel Murphy as he returns to the Mets tonight? You know, I used to think that he was very 
Babbitt dependent because he's one of these guys that um, that throws uh, that that uh, <clears throat> puts the ball in play and uh, and throws his value up to sort of where his Babbitt is. Is sort of the my my old box that I put Murphy in. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's some season. One season he hit 320, um, and uh, he had a crazy Babbitt that year. But uh, as you can see, for his career now, he has a 319 Babbitt. So. He is actually a plus Babbitt guy, and it, and it's mostly been from going oppo a lot. Uh, so he's kind of a spray hitter, uh, hits enough ground balls, doesn't hit uh, a lot of pop-ups. So he's the kind of guy with a, a good ideal uh, batted ball mix, and um, and and so I think you can you know it's possible even to regress his Babbitt uh, higher than the the projections have him. I mean, all of the projections project him for about a 310 Babbitt, and his his career is 320. So that's possible, but He's pulling the ball a little bit more this year, uh, and that's led to a little bit more power. But um, you know, it's it's hard to say anything other than 280 batting average, eight to ten homers, and now maybe you're lucky five steals on the year. It's one of these packages that's great in uh, only leagues, definitely, and and probably undervalued in only leagues because people only want to pay. Top dollar for the top guys, or one dollar for the bottom guys, and yep. he's one of those guys where you can pay six to ten and get your, you know, get a lot of stats. But you know, in other leagues, he's probably a fill-in guy at best. The one thing I will say about uh, Murphy is that perhaps some of the injuries that obviously led to the time miss with the quad, maybe that was impacting his stolen bases. And then now that now that he's healthy, he gets back on track with that. So I wouldn't rule them out because we've seen it in the history. And steals are so finicky, especially with these guys who aren't pure burners and get all of their value from it. Uh, so yeah, I'd be I'd be interested in acquiring Murphy if I needed that that second base or middle spot filled up uh, because, like you mentioned, he he just. No matter what he's done, and now we're going on several years of high-quality work from Daniel Murphy, no matter of that, he just does not get valued as a, a high-quality player, as even you know a semi-star, if you will. So there's yeah, value to be had. Even me, who was just trying to be positive about him and, and just sort of laughed him off in, in mixed leagues, that was, that was uh, unfair of me because last year he ended <clears throat> worth $15 as the eighth-best uh, second baseman in fantasy baseball, um, and he doesn't cost and, that much in mixers. No way. Yeah, and and even if you take the steals away, um, you could you could end up like a Dustin Pedroia who hit 278 with seven homers and six stolen bases last year, uh, 72 runs, 53 RBI. That seems like the kind of stuff that that Murphy could do the rest of the season, almost like a floor, and that was worth uh, the 11th best. Uh, second baseman last year and, and, and seven or eight bucks. So, you know, it seems like he's actually a top 12 second baseman this year, probably, you know, because yes, yep. the names change around him. Um, but, you know, that sort of value, if you take the names off of it and just say, what is a 280, you know, 10, 10 or 10, five type uh, second baseman worth? It's, it's barely top 12. And, and uh, you know, that's, especially if he's your MI, that means he's uh, suddenly a valuable guy. And then, like you said, one last thing. If that BABIP does go up to where he's been, 
he could reasonably hit you 300 the rest of the way. And that's 20, 15, 20 batting average points there too. So we like Daniel Murphy. We like this next guy too. He's going to be scratched due to illness. And of course, somebody had to jump. It's that time of year, folks. Fake Twitter account season. Uh, when when people want to create, uh, you know, try to replicate a popular account as best they can with like a one slight tweak of the misspelling. If it's a L's that are in their name, then they'll put capital I's. Real douchey stuff. It's so stupid, but it tricks people all the time. There was a sunny gray rumor floating around since he was scratched that he was traded. Here's the problem. And listen closely, trolls. I don't know how many trolls we have listening to our show. But if you are, listen closely. If you're going to do that, at least make a believable trade. Don't do one where Andre Ethier is the centerpiece return for Sonny Gray. This isn't <laughs> Ruben Amaro. This is Billy Bean. First off, you, for whoever made that, probably doesn't even know that Andre Ethier has already been in Oakland A. So Billy Bean is more than aware uh, of, of what Andre Ethier can do. He didn't want Andre Ethier around when he was young and had potential. He sure as hell doesn't want him when he's 33 years old. So try harder, troll. You, that was a clown move and you failed. Uh, but Sonny Gray just scratched with illness. Nothing nothing crazy. Maybe he ate some of those clams, um, oysters that uh, that Mike got Mike Bolsinger yesterday. But I did want to use it as an opportunity to kind of heap some praise on Gray. He's been amazing this year. I'll admit once again, I had him pegged wrong. I just thought he was going to be a lot of last year uh, with the with the strikeout and walk situation, and then his ERA was going to rise as a result because I thought he was a little bit over his head last year. Well, he's amped up the Ks uh, a good bit and, and just been dominant this year. The slider's been amazing. He has been ace level. Sonny Gray by ESPN's player rater is the fifth rated starting pitcher what do you think about Gray? Do you believe what we've seen so far, uh, or do you see a, a fade coming in the fir- uh, second half? Excuse me. I don't know. It's kind of got shades of Kershaw in that he just, you know, <clears throat> decided he was going to throw the slider more this year, and all of a sudden it has the best whiff rate of any slider um, from thrown by a starter this year. Oh, wow. So, uh, I don't know if that's still true that the query is a little bit old, but um, uh, it's still it's still pretty amazing. And, um, you know, I've got, even if you just go over to Brooks right now, it has it at 21% uh, whiffs. And then this year, uh, that goes up to uh, 26% whiffs. So I think that's probably actually uh, number one among starters because, you know, relievers throw it less often. They can, they can run it up there. But uh, that's, a, that's an elite number. And, it, and what's amazing to me is that it, you know, in terms of, like, how it might have changed the, the slider itself, uh, it's not really obvious that it has changed much. Um, th- and that's what happened when I asked him about it. Um, he still, he said, yeah, pretty much the same slider. Um, and in terms of velocity year over year, now there's some fluctuation game to game, but year over year, uh, it has the exact same veloc- uh, velocity as it had last year. Um, and it's just uh, become a little bit bendier horizontally. Uh, and a little bit of a little bit more drop, but he he wouldn't tell me what he did. It's not a grip thing, so I think he just fiddled with it a little bit, and 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 it's a little bit reminiscent of what Garrett Cole did, where it still looks like the same pitch, but it's just a little bit better. And uh, and you know both of those pitches, Garrett Cole's slider and Sonny Gray's slider, have uh, have vaulted those two pitchers to you know top ten ten, 10 uh, position. Yeah, it's it's been really impressive to watch, and th- this is this is the part that uh, 
we just we never know. And that's why these games will always be fun and unexpected because we are dealing with humans who change. So we can look at the data and say that it's going to do this, that, or the other. But when they evolve or devolve in some instances, obviously it changes things greatly. And we've seen Sonny Gray continue to evolve, and he's just 25 years old. I think there's a lot of legitimacy here to what we've been seeing. Maybe not a 209 ERA. You're never really tagging anybody for that going forward. That's just that's really tough to put on them. But he put up a 267 in 64 innings back in 2013, and Sonny Gray had a 308 in 219 innings last year. So I can't get him much higher than that 308 for the rest of the year, uh, even with my most negative outlook on him. But I'm also I'm quite positive. I think this sickness is nothing to worry about. A simple little scratch here. He's going to be good to go. Continue to treat Sonny Gray as a frontline starter. All right, you know, now it's time for you to tell me who the top guy in the game is because, uh, like I said, if you want to take the Trout answer, I get it. I'm not going to blast you. Um, I think there's plenty of viability toward that. However, he's number four right now. Again, using ESPN's player rate, the guy who's leading is leading by a landslide. It's not even close. Now, that doesn't mean that he's automatically the number one player, though. So what I'm really asking is who you would take with that number one pick between Paul Goldschmidt, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Todd Frazier. Uh, actually, excuse me, Frazier's three, Trout's four. Those are the top four right now. And and when you add up the points on the play writer, it's 15.94 for, uh, for, for uh, Goldschmidt. That's 15.94, so we'll just say 16. 12 for Harper, uh, 12 for Frazier, and then 11 points for Trout. So those those next three are pretty close, but Goldschmidt is running away with it. Is he your number one pick right now, or is it one of those other three, or somebody completely different? I know you. I know that I, we just talked up Daniel Murphy. So if you want to get him up there, <laughs> I, I understand. Who's who's your top guy? Um, yeah, I I want to default to Trout. I love Paul Goldschmidt, um, and it's pretty amazing that uh, he's. Still, he's stolen 15 bases again this year. 2015 and, already. Dirty. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a, an interview with him that I haven't, that I haven't, uh, that I haven't transcribed yet because he's not a very good, good interview. But um, in it, the, the nugget that I'm going to pull out at some point is that he was like a bad body guy, um, you know, coming up. And everybody said, you know, he can only play first and he might not do so very athletically. And, um, you know, the bar is really high and he's going to strike out too much, all this stuff. And then he kind of re, you know, didn't rededicate himself because he said, yeah, I lifted in college. I mean, I don't know what they're talking about, but he's, he said, you know, I did have to alter my workout strategy to, you know, fit the baseball schedule, the professional baseball schedule. And he said, mm -hmm. you know, in, in college, you can lift a couple days, rest a couple days, play a couple days. You know, it's like, you know, it's a way different schedule here. It's every day, all day, and you want to, you know, stay healthy and quick and and be able to, um, you know, play every day. So, you know, I think he really altered his his workout routine to become more flexible and quick and 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 live. And um, you know, that's that's where these steals have come from because he's he's out stealing his own paces in the minor leagues too. And, oh yeah. This is and, brand new. Like we, he's been a one of those first base guys who does steal. We got uh, four in a 48 game call up back in 2011 for Goldschmidt, then 18, 15, and nine last year in just 109 games, and like you said, already 15 this year. This is a concerted effort to be an all around superstar player at first base. Yeah, yeah, 
And, you know, what's funny is he doesn't, he's not as analytical as Joey Votto because Joey Votto at some point said, I'm going to stop stealing bases because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't offer the team enough value and it offers me too much risk. And Between injury uh, and getting caught. Yeah. So, he, he, you know, I don't see that Goldschmidt has, I mean, it's not that he's, you know, uh, a guy who's been caught is just um, almost as many times as he's taken off. But, um, you know, a lot of teams might say, hey, uh, you're our slugger, uh, you know, be careful of those fingers at second base. Um, but I, uh, I think so Goldschmidt I, makes the rules in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. I don't see – I mean, I, 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 when I look across his line, yeah, his bat is super high. But, I mean, this is obviously a guy who hits the crap out of the ball. And um, even with the Babbitt coming down – yeah, you know, I guess I guess that's what I would say is that like if there is an argument against him, it's that Trout's batting average right now is more sustainable. So going forward, um, you know their batting average should be very similar. Uh, their power is somewhat similar, and so then you're you're wondering how many more you know stolen bases is, is Goldschmidt going to do above and beyond his career high? Is he going to steal twenty this year? If he does, then uh, then Trout actually might beat him the rest of the way. If he if he steals thirty this year, then uh, you know, it'll be amazing because it'll be one of the first, maybe the first 30, 30 first baseman. Uh, yeah, I can't think. I can't imagine that yeah, I can't I, I, the other person. That's the crazy part here. You know, we talk about um, <laughs> getting those sneaky home runs from those speed-only guys so that you don't get that zero. This is obviously the opposite of that where you get – a, a substantial speed component from a guy that you look at for power. Like I said earlier, though, Goldschmidt's somebody who has run throughout his career, so it's not completely unexpected to see him running. But even if the running would have gone away this year, I don't think anybody would have been angry. If he had only done five this year but but hits you know 35 bombs with a 300 average and 120 ribbies, I don't think anybody would be like, oh, man, my – Paul Goldschmidt pick failed, but the fact that he's added more speed here is just bananas. Now, I noticed you didn't mention anything about Mr. Bryce Harper. Is that because he just doesn't have that speed component to make him the fantasy overall number one? Uh, or, or do you see any sort of backslide coming from him in the future, Bryce Harper? Yeah, I just saw that three stolen bases and seven attempts and just didn't think that, it, you know, he's too worried about um, making that part of his game. And then our big, my big interview with him, he, he, was, he focused a lot on being healthy and staying in, on the field. So, in, in fact, I think that he might be slowing down on the base pass. 100% agree. To preserve him. I mean, it, it's, uh, I think you can even see it, you know, in his defensive play a little bit. Uh, he's not being tentative, but uh, I think he really just wants to stay on the field. And I think he kind of looked up and said, wow, you know, I played three years and I barely cracked 1,200 plate appearances. So, Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that on, on Harper. And that would just put too much of a burden on his power to get real consideration here as the number one guy. I do think – and I love Frazier too, and I firmly believe I did that solo podcast. I think it was the time that you were out on a Thursday uh, where I just raved about – Todd Frazier saying, you know, top 10 guy, you know, stay, stay on him. This is not a fluke. As much as I like him, though, I can't get him in that number one. Right now it is Goldschmidt Trout for me. I'm going to go, man, it's really tough because you make a great point. 396 batting average on balls in play. That's got to come down. But like we said with Murphy, Goldschmidt's somebody who's 353 for his career. He smashes the ball. He, he can live at a higher level. But 396 is still kind of obscene. I think if we're doing a pick – uh, I'm still going to take Trout number one, but between those two, it, it's razor thin right now. Uh, honestly, man, 
I'm gonna change. I'm gonna go Goldschmidt. I'm sorry. For his first name's too good is the thing too. That's a big <laughs> factor for me. That's gonna help me win. But more it, fantasy you know, it's important to debate these things because it reminds you of, um, you know, the stuff that comes up in rankings all the time, where it's like, well, you know, Goldschmidt's obviously been better than Trout so far. Well, yeah. Yes, yeah, he has definitely. You know, which of these two players is more likely to steal 15 bases the rest of the way? That's that, that's, that's the, thing. the number one question. And, 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 and yes, hats off to Goldie. He has been the number one guy to this point without a doubt. But right. if, we're, if we're going forward, there is a debate, I believe. I fully believe that. So uh, I think we're going to kind of go on each side here, but it's going to be really close. And I could easily be talked into either. That's how close these two are now, and I think that's what it's going to be next year. Um, and barring any major changes, obviously, we still have a long time here. But if we go head into next year, these two continue to stud out like this and finish in the top five. I think they'll be the two contenders for the top pick. There'll be a few Harpers here and there just because people are enamored of him, and he's, he is amazing. I mean, I'm not saying that that's even – dumb to do if you want that power uh but i think those will be the three guys who show up as number one picks all right you know let's talk about some of these june boons these guys had huge junes we're not talking a lot about them lately uh or, or all year we've mentioned them here and there um but we got to get more of a definitive outtake or excuse me outlook right now uh and let you got to let us know if you're buying here or, or trying to sell after these huge Junes. Let's start with Matt Duffy out there in the Bay Area along with you, playing for San Diego, excuse me, San Francisco. And Casey McGee was designated yet again. So uh, his playing time was already cleared by the first Casey McGee designation. I don't think that the return of McGee uh, worried anybody, and it shouldn't. Duffy has been killing it. Uh, 230, 237 plate appearances. He's hitting 303 with eight stolen bases, three triples. So he's got a lot of extra bases right now. 22 of his 66 hits are for extra bases. Just a couple stolen bases for, for Duffy. Uh, but he's hitting the ball very well. And here's the kicker. He qualified, or he might qualify it short. It really depends on your league because he didn't play 10 games anywhere last year. And so some sites kind of give him uh, a default of, of second or short. This year, third base eligible. Uh, so it really depends on eligibility because third base is really deep. And if that's the only place that Duffy qualifies, all of a sudden it, it cuts him down a little bit. But if he has some of that middle infield eligibility, that helps him. Where are you on Matt Duffy? A, do you think that he has a, ter uh, a spot the rest of the year? And if so, or even if not, how do you value him? He's amazing. Um, and um, I, he's really hard to, to figure out. I mean, like, for example, uh, he did not hit a home run in college. <laughs> He, for, for, he, for Cal State Long Beach, he was a dirt bag. Yeah, he had uh, almost 500 abs in uh, uh, about 110, 115 games. Did not hit a homer. Hit one triple. That's nuts. and weighed probably a buck twenty, dripping wet. So you know that's that's part of the picture. I mean, he's just he's gotten a little bigger, and uh, that's something that you have to that you have to figure in when you when you look at his minor league stats. He's, he's a little bit bigger. He's still listed six two one seventy, and that seems generous sometimes. Uh, still real skinny guy. Then you know another thing I've been thinking about is um, you know I, I recently uh, ran into Alan Nathan has an equation for uh, exit velocity, and the two things that go into this equation exit velocity so speed off the bat. Uh, the two things that go into this equation are velocity of the ball and um, velocity of the bat. And 
And um, they all three things are related and significantly. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. The ball's coming in fast. Um, it's it's harder to hit a, a ball really far off a tee than it is uh, to to uh, hit a ball that has some velocity behind it um, in terms of, of distance and and so therefore exit velocity. Physics says they're related. They're all related. But uh, and the tee thing should uh, should key you to it. You can hit the ball pretty far off a tee, and the relationship between you know the the two inputs and the output. Basically, the velocity of the bat is six times more important than the velocity of the pitch coming in. Interesting. So, uh, so for the most part, you can kind of, you know, not think about the velocity of the pitches. But now, let's say you've got you're trying to project power for for young guys coming up, um, and they're seeing pitches that are 88, 89 on average, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there is some amount of just physics straight science related increase in power that that if all things were equal matt duffy in the minor leagues and matt duffy in the major leagues would have a tiny little boost just because the pitches are coming in harder yeah they're supplying some of that power for him i mean we hear that sometimes when a when a hot fastball gets taken out that hey they supplied some of that power there when you turn around a a 99 or a 103 from chapman uh that makes that makes sense I, I like that, um, it, but it, you know, but it, it, but then you always have to remember that it's six times more important how fast the guy's swinging the bat. So, uh, you know, you know, a guy with a lower power like that usually doesn't have plus bat speed. Um, but um, you know, let's start go back to talking things that are nice about Duffy. So he makes good contact. He probably has more patience than he's shown so far. And I think one of the reasons. Uh, he has swung so much and and um, and and had such much so much success. Success is that he knows where the center of the zone is and he's being pitched there. You know because people don't expect power from him. Don't and they don't respect him as a power hitter. So he gets more fastballs uh, than average. And I just looked up his his heart percentage. He gets nearly a quarter of his pitches are down the heart of the plate. So here it is, kid. Hit it. Because also of note. That Duffy makes is making this jump from Double A. He jumped from Double A last year, finished the season with the club, 34 games in in the uh, excuse me in the regular season, and then eight games sporadic playing time off the bench in the in the playoffs. So he's making the jump from Double A here. Part of it is being a college guy who you know is kind of capable of doing that, but that that that's. That's part of where that challenge comes in, I'm sure, too. Here, here is a guy who didn't display a lot of power previously, coming up from double-A. Let's see what you can do. And he's rising to that challenge. Matt Duffy is the ninth-rated uh, third baseman on that ESPN player rater that I like to reference, and he's 11th at second base so far this year. Those are the two spots that he qualifies. If you play where one game or you know any amount of games gets you qualification in season, then he'd have shortstop and, of course, first base eligibility for one game, but who cares? You would never use him there. Uh, so are you buying this on Matt Duffy? Do you think he'll start to get challenged less? And then what happens if he does? Can he rise to that challenge still and start hitting the ball even when it's not over the heart of the plate? I think um, he'll actually. I think what will happen is that they'll stop throwing down the heart of the plate. They'll be. They'll. They'll try to uh, pick a little around the edges, and you'll see his walk rate go up because okay. I mean, and then he'll get know, stolen base opportunities. Yeah, his walk rate has been great, um, and so I do think that uh, you'll see the power, you know, go down a little bit. He won't, you know, get cookies down the middle, 
Um, and but you know he's not a .05 ISO guy. He's not a he's not an Elvis Andrews, and he'll never be. So no. um, I do think you know maybe I'm not sure that we'll look back on this as a career high, but I also don't think that we're that he's establishing a new level where he's going to be a 20 homer guy. I think he's a he's a 10 homer guy. Um, and I'm going to reserve judgment about his stolen bases to see what happens when he's not, you know, ending up on third or ending up at home plate after he hits. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, I want to. I think also we'll see some more walks, some more singles, and we'll have to see what happens with the stolen bases. Then I mean, you know, his place in the lineup is is, is always a little different, and um, you know, depending on handedness, he's a right-hander. Um, you know, so the, the platoon situation is not great for him, but uh, he's, he's alone at third base. Uh, he has the contact skills and right now enough power to be a 280, 290 hitter. Yeah. And, uh, he might have more speed than he's shown to date. So even as the power goes away, I think we'll, we'll find uh, some value out of him. And, um, you know, like we, like I referenced the end of season rankings for, uh, second base and. You know, it doesn't take much to be a top 12 guy. I mean, Scooter Jeanette last year hit 289 with nine homers and six stolen bases and was a top 12 second baseman. That's why people like so, him this year. <laughs> so, so no matter what, Duffy is is going to be a top 12 shortstop this year. Yeah, uh, if you have that eligibility uh, for him at shortstop, then obviously he becomes even a much better player. Even with second and third base, though, I do like Duffy. I think that speed could turn up. 20 stolen bases last year in 97 games, an 82% success rate throughout 248 games in the career uh, minor leagues for Matt Duffy. So, again, if you, I think if you just take the projections, 260, uh, four or five homers, four or five stolen bases, that's actually probably going to be a top 18 MI, too. Yeah, I, uh, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm bought in here. It's a little swallowed up in third base, I think. In third base, I'd rather third base. He'd probably, I'd rather have him be like my H, my head-to-head fill-in guy, the guy that has multiple eligibilities that I put in across the diamond, make sure yes. he's playing against lefties, you know, plug him in for a little bit of extra stats. But um, uh, but if you can get if you can get him into the MI, uh, then he's a he's a starter, I think. I, th- I think that's where he's going to have his best value for Matt Duffy. And again, don't be alarmed if the power drops off. The speed should likely pick up to make up for it. Now, we recently spoke about Michael Franco because he's just been dominating. Uh, but he, he has to get he has to get mentioned here. He had a massive June. I mean, that's where the, the bulk of his production has come. Because actually got off to a really rough start when he first came up. In 16 games to close out the second half of May, Michael Franco only had a 194 average and 581 OPS. It was looking bad again for for him but he turned it on in june 26 games 359 uh batting average 1070 ops thanks to eight bombs uh no speed don't worry about that though but doesn't strike out uh and plays good defense too so should stay on the field at third base there's a lot to like with michael franco can he be can you be again? We're dealing with a deep position here, so that that's what makes it tough on Franco. Even with that month alone, he surged himself all the way up to 19th, which is not amazing. But with only one month of work, that's still pretty good. Can he be a top seven guy uh, at third base the rest of the way? In your opinion, he was fourth yeah. in June, by the way, behind Machado, Arenado, and Frazier, and then it was Franco, and then Duffy right behind him. 
and then the next yeah, guy we're going to yeah, talk I, about. I problems with him. I, uh, I think that all he's doing right now, the power is a little bit um, a- aggressive for... Bit for, of a surge. Bit of a surge. I think that also could be related to this. I mean, this it's really there's an ebb and flow with the young guy where, you know, first when you first come in, basically everything is low and away. Um, everything is low and away, and everything is a fastball, and fastball counts to, to some extent. And there's a lot more heart percentage. And then, um, you know, and there's a lot more pitches in the zone. And then if you are, you know, good enough, uh, they wake up and then they start, you know, they start trying to expand the zone and pitch on the edges. Uh, they start throwing you more junk. You see fastball percentage go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw an aging curve for fastball percentage that basically goes straight down. Absolutely. And it, make, it makes total sense. When, when, when you hear that and you think about it logistically, it all makes sense. But this is a blue chip prospect, so he's somebody who should be able to make the adjustments along with the league. Uh, he seemed to yeah, make that first it's adjustment. Be, this is not going to be the first time he sees good sliders and curveballs. And, you know, even if he's not swinging out now, he'll figure out, you know, what to do with them later. I mean, I, I believe in him. The only quibble I would have with your uh, sort of representation of him is I, I've and I, I don't know how much it doesn't necessarily come from me. It's just that the, the you know I think there's a lot of people who disagree on his on his uh, defense. So okay, that that was from watching. I, I, I saw a couple, and uh, the announcers may have just been talking out their butts because then they would say you know he did have a good defensive reputation. So I'll claim ignorance on that. Just saw a few flashy plays along with some commentary. Uh, I'm willing and, to be talked off of that if he's the, not. I mean that the numbers good. aren't. Numbers aren't good enough. Uh, numbers aren't big enough samples to tell us much, but I don't know. Some people say he's not going to last a third, and some people do. And uh, you know, I I do think that the Phillies of all people will give him a long leash. That's I the mean, thing. He'll last Cody Ash, this year. Cody Ash was terrible mm-hmm. um, at third base, and uh, and he didn't have a good bat, and they gave him two years. Yes. So exactly. uh, uh, Ben Revere. Uh, you know, worse than you'd think at, at center field defense. And they gave him a few years. They traded for him to play to center field. So, uh, you know, I think they'll, they'll give Franco a few years uh, because they can plug and play with roof or just keep Howard around. And, um, you know, there's a lot of change coming for the Phillies now that they have uh, better, uh, better help at the top. And with uh, uh, McPhail. Yeah. And uh, I doubt that, you know the you know one of the first moves is going to be you know move our young prospect off of third. I think that they'll, they'll try to keep him there as long as they can, and then once it becomes super obvious he can't play there, uh, then they find him a place somewhere else. But yeah, the, uh, the primary now, point. Go ahead. Two three years they got to give him at least two three years. So uh, I agree, and and the primary point I was making there was yeah. that. Uh, He's going to at least stay there this year. So maybe he's not as, yeah. as good as I was being led to believe by a couple of solid plays plus some talk from the announcers. But I do think you'll feel comfortable that the, the Phillies of all teams will not take him from there this year. So yeah. uh, playing time's guaranteed. If he's hitting and not hurt, they're going to play uh, Michael Franco. And, and, and it's going to be really interesting to kind of watch this guy continue to develop. Now, he's still 22. This is a great month. But before that, he basically had a month of utter garbage if you smash his May from last year uh, and his half, season, half month to close uh, – excuse me, his May from earlier and then his September – from last year, if you smash that together, that's another month, and it was really bad. So we've seen really bad and really good from Franco. I think we'll see solid the rest of the way. Um, I think third base is too deep to get him in that top. I, I said seven just because 
10 felt like uh, more attainable. Seven feels like that's where all the, the, the there's a lot of star power in there that'll be hard to crack. But I do think Franco's somebody you really want um, and should be chasing down if you can, right, especially in keepers. All right, so uh, Manny Machado uh, is is past um, is is in the top seven. Yeah, clearly. Frazier, uh, Chris Bryant, Arnado, Frazier, uh, Donaldson. So those guys are. Did I name seven? Donaldson, Frazier, Arnado, Bryant, uh, Manny Machado. That's five. Okay, so we got five no doubters. Okay. Uh, so let's do. Would you rather? Um, we've got uh, coming up Kyle Seeger. I got still lean on Seegs. Yeah, it's just so uh, bland. Yeah, it's bland, but it's also bland in a good way. So yes. I, I think I would, I would, I would take Seager. Um, then uh, questions uh, are Carpenter, Longoria, yes. and Rendon. Okay, Rendon, I'm giving like an injury washout year. He's still my boy. You will see me supporting him next year, big time, because the value will be much lower. So I'm still going to say uh, I'm, I'm going to say Franco there because I'm just worried about the injuries. I think it's going to be kind of a washout year. We'll have lost years for sure. Um, Longo, I got to stick with Longo uh, between those two, between Longo and Franco. I got to go with the with the longer track record there and Longo was hitting pretty well earlier this year I guess he he chilled out then if he if he moved way down the rankings um and then Carpenter's a tough one because I really love Matt Carpenter as a player and I think what he delivers uh is undervalued the only problem is that power surge was probably just that a surge as opposed to a new level of you know 20 something power which is he was pacing toward that pretty easily earlier in the year in fact he might still be if you just kind of double up uh his pace I don't know if he's got what, 10 homers so far this year? I don't, I don't know. At eight, so okay, so 16. And it'd be a career high. He definitely slowed down. He, he slowed down. Um, I'm going to go with Franco because of the power and and the position calls for more power. Carpenter, we're talking five by five. If we're talking OBP, you know. It, it, it is Carpenter for me if we're talking OBP. But, yeah. And one more, I guess, even though he's been he's so far down the ranks, you might not even have seen him. But Adrian Beltre or Franco the rest of the year? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Adrian, I knew that one of these years Adrian Beltre would look old, and I just That's didn't... the scary part. Is this that year for sure? And we're 251 PA in. Yeah, and he's already had an injury, and uh, he was frustrated. Last time I saw him, he was frustrated with uh, his recovery uh, speed uh, for that injury. So I worried about this finger. I... I, yeah. I, I feel like it's going to continue to impact him i'm gonna go out i think i'm gonna take franco now if you're doing any sort of trade like that you could get franco and something so it doesn't have to be a one for one obviously but uh i think i'm gonna take the gamble here uh, on the youth just out of fear for the injury of beltray i still think beltray has at least one more great season in him and it could be 2016 or it could be the rest of this year to be honest but uh i'm gonna go with franco over beltray i know it sounds a little bit crazy maybe a lot crazy but i'm gonna do it Rest of the Beltre. season. My Beltre and uh, Brad Ziegler for your Franco and Kenley Jansen. Yeah, I, I want that. No, I, I, yeah, I want to be on your cycle. side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let, let me let me get on your side of things. Even even if that even if that closer was a little bit better than Ziegler, let's say it was like Hector Rondon. Hasn't he gotten the last four saves? Is he back, kind of back in that role? Um, or even like a Koji Uehara, who's who's locked into the role, but definitely has his so own. Not flaws. as obvious as Jansen, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not, talking. I'm not, 
I'm not 100 percent on. Uh, oh, you mean you would trade away and away hard? I'm I'm talking about the one that you're giving. It, it, uh, if yeah. I'm making you give, like even even if you made me give a little bit better one. Um, again, I'm I'm on I'm on your side here. Where if 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 our trade person said no 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 not Ziegler, it's got to be a little bit better than that, and he says you know. K Rod or Gregerson, or like I said, Yui Har, or even like Soria, I would still do the deal with Franco Jansen. Is what I is what I was trying the point I was trying to make there. Cool. Um, yeah. What What about uh? Here's a here's an interesting name for you. I don't know if he if you can put him up against Franco, but uh, the redhead in in L.A. That's our next guy. That's a perfect Justin, transition. Justin we, Turner. We, we got to talk more Justin Turner. He's well, what's pretty amazing is if you just look at the last two years, he's everything that you would want out of Franco. I mean, we're talking about a good strikeout rate, great power, um, you know, good offense. You know, he should probably beat Franco in rest of season projections if you only look at the last two years and you kind of ignore uh, the playing time situation, I think. Well, I think right now, here, here's the thing, and I, I think this is where I made my confusion with Duffy because um, I was talking about Duffy having shortstop eligibility. It's going to be only certain leagues, whereas Turner actually already has it, and that's what really boosts him up. He played 15 games there last year, so in almost every league, Justin Turner should already be shortstop eligible, and that gets him out of that third base pool, even though he's more than holding his own there right now. <sighs> Between those two, I think I'm still going to go – Dang, that's hard because Turner was really excellent last year, as as you're mentioning. Uh, the playing time piece is tough, but when you're playing this well, I don't think a team is is going to look for ways to get you out of the lineup. I think I'm forced to go Turner there because I got to get that shortstop eligibility. I think that's the that's the the tipping point for me. The youth and inexperience of Franco. I don't want to overreact too much to one month, although I'm sure some of you are yelling. But you just said you trade Beltre for him, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to over, overreact too too hard. Um, like I said, my concern with Beltre is the injury. I would take Turner. I think Turner with the shortstop eligibility with what he's doing, it's nothing overly flashy. The power surge this year, but it's mostly batting average and kind of the run score driven in piece for him. Um, I just love that he's at shortstop. Shortstop's been so God awful this year that Justin Turner is a godsend there. Uh, and, and I, I gotta have him. I know that he doesn't show eligible. I get, was it take 20 games then for other league? Most of my leagues, 15 games has him shortstop eligible. I guess it's 20 games is the default, which is why Justin Turner won't show up in shortstop uh, rankings for a lot of sites. So if he doesn't have shortstop, give me Franco. If Justin Turner does have shortstop, give me Justin Turner. Did I make it confusing enough? Yeah. Well, I would would be pretty wholeheartedly uh, pro-Turner if I, you know – if I was 100% sure that he would start from here on out. And, it, you know, looking at the game log, it, he's pretty close. I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he's been the chosen. Remember when they traded Uribe and we all jumped on Guerrero because of what he's been doing? And it ended up being Turner who was the real beneficiary there. And he's justified it. You know, it's nothing. It's not even a knock on Guerrero or anything. It's the fact that Turner has earned this. By, di- by dominating, and uh, he's making the most of it. I mean, what a fantastic month for Justin Turner, uh, and not like you he know, was doing poorly before that. It, it, it's combined with an actual uh, change in mechanics. I mean, it, I, it, I wrote definitely. about how he, he studied with Marlon Bird. It was funny, too, because I got a text from someone who works in baseball, and he said, uh, yeah, 
uh, I had to giggle when uh, you said that Justin Turner's breakout came because of you know, working Bird. out with Marlon Bird. <laughs> I mean, it is funny to think that because we don't think of Marlon Bird as a stud. But remember, wasn't Marlon Bird like an uber blue chip prospect too? He was supposed to be kind of a superstar and he didn't necessarily pan out that way. I feel like I remember him being a hot prospect, but uh, simple fact is Marlon Bird has made a 14-year career for himself uh, with a weird late career power surge. Whatever he's helped Justin Turner with, it's been great because we got a 30-year-old journeyman uh, utility infielder who's turned himself into a stud and might even get some all-star consideration. I, I, I could see it if he was a, a reserve, especially because he can play everywhere. And we've been seeing in the past few years where – Every team kind of takes that one utility guy that they can kind of bounce around. You know, they've been the super utility, whether it's your Zobrists uh, or Josh Harrison last year. I could see Justin Turner making the All-Star game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. He sold out for power. You can see his his pull percentages went way up in the last three years, and yeah. uh, his hard hit percentages went up the next the, along with it, and he. Used to be a guy who probably someone told him spray the ball in, a, in every way and, and don't worry about the power and just have nice batting averages. And then he said, "Screw that!" And uh, now you can now you see him with the power. I mean, he's it's funny how you can, especially with him, how you can see uh, the differences in projections and how they kind of how they how they were tweaked and how how much they depend on recent inputs. I mean. Zips has him as a 300 hitter with a 362 on base percentage and a 164 ISO the rest of the way. Steamer has him as a 277 hitter with a 339 on base and a 144 ISO, and that's that's pretty that's a pretty big difference. Yeah, and uh, you can totally see that you know where that happened and how that happened. I mean, it's like you know you can't ignore you know Justin Turner the Met. You know, this is and why Justin Turner, the the guy who was bouncing around the Reds and the Orioles and the Mets, and you know, released and DFA'd and all that stuff. You know. Yeah, but the the thing you mentioned about their actual being actual changes here is why I think that Mets fans shouldn't necessarily be you know pulling their hair out over this. I know they're starving for any offense, and somebody like Justin Turner playing shortstop for them would be just about perfect for their needs but he, he was he was never this guy in New York there, there there's a change here maybe the change that he had with Marlon Bird is is off the field <laughs> maybe he met with him in the uh, in the GNC supplement aisle as opposed to just working on him with batting tips and I'm sorry but you do have to mention it because Marlon Bird did get popped for something before so I, I'm right. gonna be the I'm gonna be the jerk who at least puts it out there that maybe that's part of it yeah, so you know, it, you know that that means that there's at least a, a somewhat chance that um, something could happen in the future. Yeah, that's I mean, I, I'm not. It's it's a tough game. Who wants to go out accusing people of that? I I, I, I you know, you you don't really want to do that, but you you just can't can't be afraid to be like, well, it, it could be part of the equation here. But either way, Justin Turner's raking. I think he's going to continue to rake. Uh, obviously he's already had his surge in pickup ownerships and all that sort of stuff, but would you take him in a trade where somebody was trying to sell high, uh, on him for the rest of the year and maybe offered you, let's say, uh, well, let's do, let's do some of those other third basemen that we were talking about earlier. What about, you know, can he, can he wiggle his way? He is the seventh best third baseman year to date. 
can he hold that spot? And if you, you think he can, then obviously you're saying he can fend off those guys that we talked about. But if he can't, then we need to talk about some of those same guys that we were talking about earlier with Franco. Do you think Turner can hold the seven spot? I when we were when we were talking about all those guys, I, I just couldn't take Turner over them. It, it'd be tough. Uh, I think he'll I think he'll be a surprise top ten guy, but uh, unless he really keeps this two way, I mean the, the ISO is just above the power is the trick. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I can't like see it. Two sixty ISO the rest of the way, then we're all going to look foolish. But uh, uh, I think it's going to return to earth a little bit. I mean, you just look at look at his game log, and that this is why. You know, homers and ISO and stuff take a long time to to uh, to stabilize because you know uh, on June 18th he had five less homers than he has now. Yeah, it was just it's been this huge surge, and that's you know I, I mentioned paces every once in a while. It's usually tongue in cheek just to kind of see what, what what they've got going on, or at least I don't I don't live by the pace because yeah, if you'd done his paces before then. He would have been some, you know, run-of-the-mill, mid-teens, maybe upper-20s ranked third baseman. But now he looks like the second coming. I think I've seen Scott Pianowski throw around this comp a lot, and I think it probably works. He keeps calling Justin Turner uh, our new Ty Wigginton. What do you think of that? Oh, that's not bad. That's That seems kind of like – as, in terms of a perfect world scenario, if Turner continues to do this and stays good, um, I think that that is a, a pretty good – you know, outcome for him. I think it would require, you know, the average would probably come down, but the power would stay pretty decent. And, and it's a guy who can play kind of everywhere and knock around for a bunch of teams. I could see it. Wigginton got his going much earlier in his career. Um, but in terms of, you know, what he, what Justin Turner could be, I don't think that's a completely uh, misguided characterization. Tyler Wigginton. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on here. Let's talk about a couple guys. I'm going to skip uh, one of these guys here and just jump right to Mitch Moreland because um, he interests me a lot, Mitch Moreland does. I, I know there's been some pretty hardcore believers in the past. Um, in, in fact, I think it was last year where, where folks were like, he's going to get an opportunity, he could do something, and then he got hurt. He only played 52 games. Well, this year he's back and only played 57 games, and he's – he has dwarfed everything he did last year. If you just compare the two seasons since their similar playing time, um, he's a completely new player. And, and I think he gives credence to the fact that you can just wash out his 2014. It was an injury washout. I would not really try to glean anything from it. Compare his 2015 to 2011 through 2013 and then and then start drawing your conclusions there. Either way, we're still seeing a big power surge from Mitch Moreland. Do you think this is something legit? He has a career high of 23 homers. Could he be a 30-homer guy this year? Where are you at with Mitch Moreland? Yeah, you know, he, he, he hit the most ground balls for fly ball last year. And other than that, um, you know, he, he actually hit it pretty hard last year when he was in. So um, you know, the other big change I can see from last year, more fly balls. And then this Huge. weird thing where he's pulling the ball a lot more. But he's also pushing the ball a little bit more, so he's like not going up the middle of the field. He's he got kinda... rid of the center. He's like, nah, I'm <laughs> not going to hit it to that fat blonde kid who picks up all the all the <laughs> balls off the lawn there in in Texas. That kid who sits there and, and and runs out to get all the home run balls. He's like, nah, can't hit it to that kid anymore. I'm going uh, pull or push. Yeah, pull or push. I think he's um I think he's probably just a natural pull hitter. Uh, so I'll take uh, I'll take all that Babbitt back, a lot of it at least. It's, it's up left. to 342 from from a career of 291. So uh, he's a he's a he's a lefty 
you know, slow um, uh, pull hitter. I mean, that's the kind of guy who can easily get shifted. And the more his pull numbers sit where they are, the more they're going to shift him. So, uh, yeah, I'll take I'll take that batting average back. I'll take I'll take him all the way back to his career batting average going forward, two fifty eight. Agreed. Um, but um, you know, two fifty eight, two sixty. Uh, you know, at least twenty homer power, even if you regress him. Um, you know, the only other thing is, you know, you, you don't really want to play him against lefties. So he's kind of, uh, to me, he's a he's a bench solution. Um, my biggest issue. Solution. Uh, my biggest issue with him is, is worse than these other guys we've been talking about. First, uh, his position, first base, is brutal uh, yeah. to, to break into. It, br- brutal in that it's really, really, really good. So some places he still is an outfielder. Okay, well that definitely helps because last year he only he, he was mostly DH. So I, I wondered if he'd lose his outfield eligibility. So if he's still got outfield capability, then by all means, that's a that's a oh, two that's huge games. Two games. So it, it, it depends. Not, not a lot of outfield situations. So, yeah, as a first baseman, he's just uh, – I think he's like a util. I'd love to have Mitch Moreland and Adam Lind as – Oh, that'd my, be great. You know, as my two util guys. You know, between the two of them, I have a good backup for first base and have, I have a, a, an outfielder who's at home in a great park. And I would just play Lind at home against righties and Moreland at home against righties and – you know. Yeah, chances of them facing lefty on the same, especially if you're doing daily transaction league, chances of them facing lefty on the same day is pretty rare. So I think you could really work that. That's a good name, by the way, in, in terms of thinking of an NL only league analog. It would probably be Lynn. So I, 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 I buy the power that we're seeing here from Moreland. I think he can be a, a solid power guy. Maybe end the season with a good uh, upper 20s, you know, 27 or so. But I agree with you on that average wholeheartedly. At, at best, it's going to be the 260 for his career. I just think it'll start to really fade. Uh, but but you'll take the power, and that's what you want at first base anyway. So I I, I believe a lot of what we're seeing, just not the full package. I'd probably hang on to him. I wouldn't be trying to trade him. I don't think you're going to get enough to really want to trade him. All right, you know, let's talk about some pitchers now. Um, I think of the group we've got here, there's a lot of mid-level guys or, or even below. This is the top guy of this group for, for the for the June Boons. And, and Mr. Carlos Martinez is having a breakout season, uh, thanks in large part to his huge June. Now, Martinez had a, a back-to-back seven earned run games here to start off may it was it was really brutal you know the cubs and pirates both trounced him for seven since then he's basically been untouchable if you look at all nine starts since then he's got a 154 era if you only break off his june since that's really what we're talking about here he's got a 218 era with 36 strikeouts and 33 innings we're seeing a lot of growth here from carlos martinez where are you on on him for the rest of the year though because there are a couple factors one it is a short sample, and we've seen him, you know, blow up before. Um, but two, and probably more importantly, honestly, is the workload piece. His 93 innings this year are already a career high in the majors. Since he's been kind of that relief starter, back and forth hybrid type, he doesn't have a bunch of high innings caps uh, totals. So, what kind of innings cap do you think Carlos Martinez will see, and how much does that hamper how you value him the rest of the way? Yeah, you know, they've, they've been pretty cautious with him. Um, and I think that's just because they saw him eventually starting, and so they didn't want, you know, they didn't want like 100, I think 100 innings of relief 
is very different from a hundred innings of starting. So, um, you know, I think they, they, they knew he, they were using him as a reliever a lot and they didn't want to push him too hard, but, uh, it's like two straight years of basically a hundred innings. Yeah. Um, and it's a little weird. Usually you want to push that growth. If you're pushing him towards a starter, the back of the envelope number I keep hearing RC is 120%. So, um, you kind of, if he was 102, 2013, he should have been 120 last year. And then he'd be, you know, closer to 140, 160 this year. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to stop him. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, he, he, he's in his prime. Uh, a lot of people think that innings restrictions are, are, uh, are a bunk. Um, and, um, you know, if you, you can give him a little bit of rest here and there. Uh, but the team needs him. Big time. You know? So, uh, you know, rest of season projections, 86. Uh, that would be really, that would be really strong, I think. I think um, if I was running the depth chart, I would uh, give him another, like, 70 innings, maybe. That's what, that's what I was going to say. Because even if they, so that they're going to the postseason, what they could easily do is, um, oh, his oblique is bothering him. Um, Small break, yep. He might even have options left, so you could say um, around the all-star break, you can option him down and say, we just want him to keep his regular start. And then in the minor leagues, he starts and pitches two innings um, and uh, you know stays on his regular throw days and everything. Um, and uh, you, you, you get back some innings here or there like that and, and skip his start maybe a few times. And So I, I, I just doubt that he's going to have 100 – I mean – basically 180 innings after two years of 100. Yeah, you're right. That's a good thing to point out. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the fact that he's the guy uh, throwing more. He's increased his rate of changeup usage more than anybody else in baseball. It is so dirty. I was going to get – we were not going to leave Carlos Martinez without <laughs> talking about the changeup. It is filth in the best way possible. Uh, it's It's – that that was the missing piece too. That's that's what you love. You love to see when it's like, well, you know, if this guy can get that third pitch, he could be special because he's got the gas and he's got the breaker. It's all that changeup. We see it so many times with young guys, and it's so nice when it works out. And so far, it's working out. Talk to us a bit about that changeup from Carlos Martinez right now. Well, what's funny is that you know, his everything's uh, everything's a little bit slower this year because he's starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, he's basically down, uh, two miles an hour across the board, but he's down a little bit more than two miles an hour with the four scene. Um, and so that's meant, meant that the, the changeup doesn't have great gap in terms of velocity. Okay. Um, but the movement, tell us about the, the movement. movement has gotten better. It's, it's like, you know, I, I think the way that I think of it is when you, when you watch like Pineda throw his changeup. Um, and I wrote about this earlier, you know, one out of every three is amazing. Uh, the second is okay. And the third is bad. It's poop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think Pineda's still hovering around in that territory. And then in, in the blow up games for Pineda, uh, what happens is, is he, he can't find a slider and then he, he does, the change up's not good enough to rely on. So, that's that's what you're seeing in those Pineda blowups, and that's what I think you probably saw with the Martinez blowups because I've you've been looking at this changeup for two three years trying to decide does it have enough movement? It doesn't really have a great velocity gap, but does it have enough movement to be um, you know the pitch that we need it to be? 
And it, I've seen a bunch of changeups that were great. And then I've seen other ones that weren't. You know, I think what he's done this year is tighten it up and, and just finally found consistency. Because if you look at the, the movement horizontally, he's added almost four inches of horizontal movement. And then he's added a three inches of drop. And that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's really, really dirty. And, uh, and it, 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 it is now finally lining up with what I've seen when I've seen his best changeups. You know what I mean? It's like finally, oh, yeah, that describes the changeup. That I saw that one time when everyone said, "Oh my God!" Exactly, and you want oh. <laughs> that happens often with pitchers. You're like, "I saw pitch X at its best," and I'm telling people about it. They're not seeing it, and they're not, you know, maybe they're not believing it. And now you're like, "See, I knew it was in there. We saw it in glimpses, and now we're seeing it much more regularly from Carlos Martinez with regards." To this, the, this changeup and the movement, uh, like I said, dirty, filthy, whatever word you want to use to describe it, it's been nasty. I want to take a look here for you at the uh, the change usage in those ugly games that he had and see if maybe that was uh, something that he, he got away from or whatever because it might not have been working. Let's see. Let's, let's look at those two May outings uh, to start there. He used the changeup 18 and 19%. And it had been used 21, 18, and 20% in three games before. So he got away from it a little bit. We'd have to look at the quality of them. I just wanted to see if he, yeah. if, if the if the volume got, dropped yeah. sharply. But uh, either way, he's beyond those two blowups. Now here's the problem, uh, not even a problem, but here's the thing: blowup outings seem to have been seem to be the the order of the year this year. Guys are having them left and right, regardless of their quality too. We're seeing them from good guys, great guys, scrubs, whatever you want to say. I can't rule out another seven earned run here and there from uh, from Martinez because he has that kind of volatility, that, but it doesn't change my outlook on him. That's the thing. I mention it just as a matter of fact that you have to be willing to weather those if you're going to take a young guy with this upside. Don't get cute. Don't try to play matchups and only pick him here, only do that. I mean they happened against Chicago at home and Pittsburgh on the road. What inkling would you have had that those things were going to happen to him, Carlos Martinez there? Th- there would have been no inkling. That was back in early May when Pittsburgh wasn't hitting anybody either. So um, just deal with the volatility. I think you're going to like the, the bottom line by season's end. So we're saying about 70, 75 innings in the regular season. What kind of ERA would you give him the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's still – there is still a little bit – I just want to say there's, there's there is still a little bit of uh, – of, um, inconsistency that you can see. He's given up a 150 ISO on the change. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I think that that does mean that he's still hanging him a little bit uh, from time to time. And that, um, you know, for whatever reason, it is the pitch that people still have the most success off of. But at the same time, it has the highest whiff rate of any of his pitches. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good pitch. And I think that it's enough of a change that it's not that he's no longer necessarily the the old caller Martinez that had these certain stats. I agree. Uh, you know, and you know, getting a pitch that can strike lefties out, you know, is a way that you can lower your swinging strike rate overall and yet improve your strikeout rate. Um, because you could be whiffing, getting a lot of whiffs from the right side, but having lefties destroy you, which is sort of what has been happening to Carlos Martinez. And then finding a pitch that sort of equalizes it um, might lower your swing strike rate, which is happening to Martinez, but high, to raise your strikeout rate because you're now striking lefties out as well. That's a great point. Uh, 
which is something that is, is going on with him. So um, I will take the over on the rest of the season projected strikeout rate. Uh, I will take uh, at least eight and a half, uh, if not nine strikeouts per nine. Um, and I think a lot of the old BABIP and WHIP and Homer issues, uh, well, you know, he's had some Homer issues this year. But I'd, I'll say a lot of the BABIP issues, and we've talked about this before, what was because of lefties teeing up on him. So I don't think that you need to regress him to like a 320 uh, BABIP like Zips does. I would agree so, with that, too. I think I basically am arguing for the Steamer line, maybe even a little bit better. Steamer has 3.6 ERA, 1.29 WHIP. 8.5 strikeouts, uh, 3.5 walks per nine, uh, 293 BABIP. I feel pretty comfortable in there. Um, and I think even with the home park and, you know, that many strikeouts, you, you traditionally see, um, you know, lower BABIP, and he could have better strikeouts than that. So I'll give him 3.5 ERA, 1.25 whip, uh, almost a strikeout per inning. Yeah, that's, that's a really nice pitcher. Yeah, I'm I'm, not, I'm actually going to stick with that. I can quibble and be like, I was going to say 3-4. Between, the difference between a 3-4 <laughs> and a 3-5, who really cares? The, the fact right. is that when we're putting him at a 3-4, we're also saying that a 3-30 is very much in play because it, that, that's just a couple of runs, especially over the course of just uh, the last three months of the season. So we, we love Carlos Martinez. It's easy to do so. These next handful of guys, they're going to have a few more warts here that we're going to have to wade through to see what we like. But you may remember that Kendall Graven was a little bit of a sleeper coming into the year. Somebody who we thought, you know, deeper leagues, uh, back end of your AL rotation, you can get some solid innings here. Heavy ground ball guy, you're not going to get K's, but everything else should be good. Decent team, we thought, uh, and of course a great park. Well, it didn't quite turn out that way. He gave up seven earned in his first outing, uh, five and a third shutout innings his next outing, but then eight more earned runs over his next eight innings. All of a sudden, 827 ERA, and he got sent out. So he goes down for a month, gets, a, gets himself right, comes back up. In seven, excuse me, eight starts for Kendall Graveman since returning, uh, two in May and then the other six here in June. He has a 201 ERA um, and 37 strikeouts in 54 innings is not going to knock your socks off. But for Graveman, it's actually pretty good. He's not a strikeout guy at all. So 6.2 will take it. This was a guy who was kind of living like I think he had like a four something strikeout rate in those first four starts of the year. So not a huge strikeout guy. But in here's his innings counts in um, in June six seven eight seven seven seven, and I mean four of those were on the road, including a trip to L.A., Boston, Detroit, Texas, and then the two home teams were San Diego and Colorado. San Diego sucks. Colorado is actually hitting righties on the road uh, quite well this year, so getting seven shutout innings against Colorado, even on the road, is noteworthy. Where are you at on Kendall Graveman right now and rest of the year? You know, if you watch him, and, and, and this, this holds up in the in the pitch FX stuff, he's got a lot of movement on his pitches. Yes, and, and that's how he gets that d- dirty ground. I mean, he's supposed to have one of those elite ground ball rates, like Keiko level type of stuff. I, I think it's coming. It, it, it's not quite there yet. No. And, you know, some of it might be remnants of his first attempt at the league. And you can see, I, I, you can see why, why. So it's not swing and miss, Bendy. It's kind of... Uh, and it's partially because the the velocity isn't great on any of his pitches. Um, so, you know, it's it's bendy, but you can hit it. And I think that's what makes it so difficult because he has decent command, but he's uh, he has to dance around the edges because if they square it up, they're going to take it far. And that's what happened to him the first few times. And then I think what he probably did was go down to the minor leagues and say, you know, if I aim for the middle of the zone, I have so much uh, bend on my pitches and, you know, 
you know, in the minor leagues, nobody could do anything with it. So he's like, okay, that's what I got to do. I'm going to do that even in the major leagues. And I think he came back and, you know, um, his, uh, he, he threw it a little bit more towards the, to the I'm, t- I'm trying to get his, uh, his zone percentage. Okay. But, uh, yeah, the, I guess, you know, the zone, yeah, the zone percentage went up after he came back up. Um, there's, it's closer to 50 and, and 60, um, you know, in the, in the good stretch that he had. Great, but that's yeah. that's not even a. I'd love to see the sort of like hardened edge over time because um, my my impression that it was that he wasn't doing a great job of hitting the edges. But he's got good command. He's going to have good grounders. I think of him as sort of Heston like. Okay. Where you know the best case scenario has him with you know, six or seven K nine, um, and um, you know I don't know why we need to regress him to a one homer per nine. I think he's going to be a guy who has like a half a homer for nine. Um, and that's oh, yeah, going to take I, a lot I, of the meat out of him. No, I, I, I agree there on, on the homer per nine. I wouldn't I wouldn't put him that high. I think he is going to be a ground ball machine. We haven't seen it just yet, like you mentioned, uh, just a 49% rate since he returned. I think it's 47% on the season in his 70 innings for Kendall Graveman. But he was at 64, uh, excuse me, 64% last year, but that was only in, in uh, five innings of work. But in the minors, 58% since uh, 2013, since he, since yeah. he uh, joined the league. So this is a guy who does have one of those elite level ground ball rates or at least has the capability for it and that's going to put a much lower burden on his strikeouts i'm seeing him um as somebody who here's the thing even with everything that he did in June, he was great. Uh, he still only was the 22nd best starter. That's because even with a 193 ERA, you got to have some strikeouts to go with it if you want to be elite. So top 25, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not trying to blast it, but a 193 ERA for a month, you would expect uh, would put you higher than that. So I think he can be a solid streamer in mixed leagues for Kendall Graveman and then a, a worthy uh, guy that you just leave in all the time except for maybe the, the worst of the worst if they happen to go back to you know go to Colorado to give them a, a home and home or something. You take any pitcher out there except for studs, so that goes without saying. Uh, but yeah, I think Graveman will be useful the rest of the way. The only way I'm going to acquire him, though, is if I've got my Ks on lock. If you're chasing strikeouts, I don't think this is a guy you want because he could definitely be in that – uh, five per nine kind of mark easily. Like I said, 6.2 constitutes a good month for him. He can be living in that five to five and a half range. Uh, and so if you need K's, then he's just wasting your innings there. So I wouldn't go for Graveman in that situation, but any other situation, if you have your K's all situated, you got a bunch of stud strikeout guys, then I'd get Graven for some quality innings. Yeah. I think, you know, even a DFS is, uh, his lower strikeout rate means that he's got lower upside in terms of overall score. But, yeah. I mean, a lot of times in DFS, you're also just chasing a win. And he's uh, dirt cheap in DFS, too. Yeah. So th- you, that, could really, you could put a monster lineup uh, next to – you could put a monster lineup next to Graven because you'd save thousands of dollars. Exactly, uh, and that's where the trade-off comes. Um, yeah, and I, think, and I think, you know – Getting a lineup that maybe has, you know, Goldschmidt and Trout in it might be worth, uh, you know, especially when Graveman's at home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, against a, a, maybe a middle-of-the-pack offense. You know, you know, Graveman at home against the Mariners. Like, um, if that can get me some two real big studs in my lineup, you know, with the platoon advantage in a nice park, I'm doing it. I agree, and especially at DraftKings where you can use two starters and maybe you get your higher quality guy, uh, your more studly guy as your SP1, but you really want to save money to get those studs. 
Graveman's price is dirt, dirt cheap. Um, first off, because he struggled so much to begin with, but also because of the K. So I agree with you there. I, I do like him as a DFS guy. A, a good analog for what he's been doing, granted it's from the left side, uh, or, or not of what he's been doing, but what, of what you can hope for at probably best case scenario, would be what we've been seeing from Brett Anderson uh, so far this year. 89 innings, 6.27 strikeouts per nine, 69% ground ball rate, and that's helped him with, to a 313 ERA. I think that's like the best that you could get from uh, uh, from Grave if everything worked out, if he got that ground ball back in check without hurting his Ks, that would be the kind of stuff that you could see from him. But maybe just put him at six Ks, a 60% ground ball rate, and so then you're looking at like a 360 ERA uh, out there in Oakland, which I- I'll take. I'll- I have no problem with that. Let's talk about Lance McCullers Jr., another guy who uh, you know has come up this year and and really been impressive. I think even more impressive than a lot of people thought. He made the jump from Double A as well. He was a uh, hard thrower with some devastating stuff, but control issues were the real big question with him. And in fact, a lot of folks thought maybe it's a relief profile uh, if he can't get those ironed out. Well, that's been one of his big assets coming up. He's only been at three walks per nine so far, which is not a excellent number overall but when you're talking about where he's coming from it ends up being pretty good an eight percent rate uh for those of you who like the the, the percentages there we'll take that all day when you're doing a 27 percent strikeout rate so uh you know the strikeouts are there everything's been great for for mccullers so far can it hold 219 era 101 whip Probably not going to hold at that level but can he remain frontline-esque lance mccullers jr what do you think you know He's pretty nasty. I mean, it's, it's so it's, filthy. It's really nasty, nasty stuff. And uh, you know, I, I uh, when you're watching it, I think that I actually think he has decent command of his four seam and his curve. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, it's not like Alan Webster. Uh, oh, and your boy. You know, I, I'm trying to think of. A I feel other so guys. bad watching him out there. He looks well, like he is. Way. Yeah. He looks like he's scared about like I don't want to make a mistake. Yeah, it's terrible. I know people. People have been talking about that for a while, but I just figured maybe you get a good run going in the National League and and get a little bit of uh, a little bit of stiff spine. You know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I totally understand the excitement based on the raw stuff for Webster. But oh my goodness, his body language. If you want to, if you're looking for an example of bad body language, go watch Alan Webster's last start. Was it Mike Harkey out there after like three pitches, telling him, "Dude," and Mike Harkey does not mess around. You do not want him coming out there to yell at you. Three, two, two run homers in that game. Uh, But so, um, you know, McCullough is not like that. He's a bulldog. Uh, He he doesn't miss his spots as egregiously as I think. And I just think that that. Changeup he's got is so bendy and so new to him and so crazy and weird. Ninety mile an hour changeup, only five mile an hour gap to his to his uh, four seam, but has five or six inches more drop than his four seam, five inches more fade. Wow! I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, it, it's a it's not unlike the Felix change. And that is an Felix awesome has, thing to say. Man. Well, Felix has way more command, and if sure. you look. If you look at the ball rates, the four seam has a 35% ball rate. The curve has a 37% ball rate. Anywhere between like sort of 33 and 38 is kind of uh, normal territory. His okay. changeup is a 56% ball rate. So he can't command it. But, you know, the natural platoon split on a curve, especially his, is almost 6 minus 6. 
um, and one of the hardest curves in the game. I think that kind of curve does not actually have a huge platoon split. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have the kind of movement of uh, kind of a slurvy, you know, imagine like a, a 79 per hour slurvy slider that, you know, kind of the Chris Heston slider mm-hmm. that just, that kind of just goes right into the lefties low, uh, low and in kind of wheelhouse right there. Uh, th- this curve is not the same. It's more up and down. It's going 85 miles an hour. It's going to resist platoon splits a little bit. Let me look at here. The, um, the whiff rate on the, uh, the curve to righties is 17%, and to lefties is 21%. So there's okay. even a possibility there for a, le- for a reverse platoon split. So I, I don't think that he that McCullers needs to rely on the change so much that, you know, not having good command of it is going to sink his career, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, just go with my raw pitch counts. Uh, he's had games, like his last game out, he threw four change-ups. Maybe that game he wasn't getting ahead in counts, or maybe the changeup he couldn't, you know, locate it, or he just couldn't find the right moment for it. You know, that's going to be okay. Against the White Sox, he threw 23 changeups. Um, so you know, I I I I'm fully on board with Lance McCullers. He was the 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 um, main uh, piece coming back to me in a Mike Trout trade. Um, I love him to death. I, I owned him like two years ago and uh, three years ago in my 20-team league. With Hot. I, and I'm so angry that I traded him away because everyone was convincing me he's going to be a reliever. And, yeah. You know, he doesn't have good command. And then, then he goes out and you know, finds his command. And You know, you know what also creates uh, lower walk rates is nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. No doubt. <laughs> you know, people swing at nasty stuff and turn it into, and turn it into uh, strikes. So. Yeah, turn into strikes or, or, or lame ground balls that Altuve has no problem with. I mean, it's been awesome. And, again. Do just, not look at the rest of the season projections. Just don't even look no, at them. No, because I, I think that they're, they're, they're all going to lead you astray. Obviously, Zips only has them with 49 innings, 523 ERA, uh, 81 and 82 innings for steamer and depth charts, respectively, but a 397 and 460 ERA. I'm nowhere near those on him. I think, at worst, we're looking at a mid-threes guy. I think he's got the, the stuff to protect him. He, he'll, he'll have a dud outing coming up. It, there's going to be a bad one, a four-inning, uh, seven-run sort of thing because it happens. I mean he's already had a sort of one. He had four and a third, five runs. Only three of them were earned against Seattle. Those are going to happen. So 219 ERA, is that's why we say it's not realistic to really project for anybody because duds, dud starts happen every once in a while. However, I think with this swing and miss stuff and this – Primo strikeout capability. Lance McCullers is somebody you want. I would be buying in on him with the idea that you could almost get him at a discount, a discount compared to what he'll do the rest of the way because there are some folks out there. Now, not you. If I'm coming to trade from you, you'd be asking for the moon, understandably. But somebody who maybe lucked into him, just got him on the waiver bid because they knew he was a, a hot prospect, they might be ready to move out thinking, I've already got 53 innings of, of ace work. Let me let me trade him here for something. And they might not ask for the world and then you almost end up getting a guy like that at a discount because he ends up pitching to a 3.30 ERA with a, you know a 25, 26% strikeout rate the rest of the way, and that ends up being a stud. So I'm big on McCullers. Now we have to talk about innings with him as well. How many did he have last year? I'm, I'm looking it up as I ask. 97 last year. Uh, he already has 29 from the minors plus the 53 we're looking at. 82 innings. So 
He's already bumping up against 15 innings away from what he did last year. How many innings do you think he can get? I feel like Houston will push him a decent bit. I, I feel like they're not afraid to give him they're, even, you know. They're uh, suddenly in it, you know. Yeah, that's the and, thing. Uh, uh, he's, but he's another guy, 104, 2013, uh, 97, 2014, uh, you know, 70, 82 now uh, yeah. combined. Uh, so – you know, traditionally, I think you know if you're not in the, not in it, and uh, you just want to build up innings for him. I think you could push him to 130, 140. Okay. Uh, and then you would probably sit him in the, in their situation, maybe 160. I mean, I just have a hard time believing that they're going to go all the way to 180. See, uh, I, I was thinking another thing too. Because if they do, they probably do want to give them some innings, but they also want to, you know, if they continue to stay atop the division, they're going to want some innings for the playoffs. But if they're not in a position where they're automatic, you know, first off, you're never guaranteed. Just ask, what was it, Boston that blew that blew that big September lead recently? You're never guaranteed. But if they're coming into September with like an eight or nine game lead, I feel like they would try to, you know, skip McCullers here and there and, and say that those innings are going to be going toward the playoffs, especially if they're bumping up on 130, 140 for him already. So that's my only fear with McCullers so far or for the rest of this year is the innings count. And we just don't know. But anyway, you know, uh, that's going to be it for our June boons. I know you got to get out to the park. We're going to talk about the June swoon guys. Those will be kind of star level guys who sucked in June. And we'll discuss what to do with them on Thursday. Until then, have a good time and say hi to Nolan Arenado for him and tell him that I mean, you can tell him I love him if you want. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'll, talk right. to, I'll talk to you later, Eno. Take care. <laughs>